0: You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, what an awesome message. Not only is it a reminder spring's coming, right? But that the the God of the universe came down to this earth. What an amazing, amazing thing 2,000 years ago. And uh, Easter's coming up soon, celebrating our Lord's resurrection. And not only did he come came to this earth, but he died and he rose again. And so what a wonderful thing that uh, we get to celebrate every Sunday, to be honest with you, is a celebration of the resurrection. Uh, that's the reason why church or the weekly day of worship got moved from Saturday uh, for the, the Jewish people to, um, to Sunday. And uh, the early church worship on Sunday because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so that's the traditional honorary day, if you will, that uh, that we do it also. Hey, if you're new to River, I just want to give you a special shout out. There's a few new faces in the crowd. Some of you I managed to meet uh, on your way in and others I haven't. And uh, we're just truly, truly grateful that you're here to to worship God this morning, and uh, for whatever reason God brought you our way. Our prayer is that uh, this morning would be an encouragement to you, that uh, as we sing and we open God's word, that God would speak into your heart something that would challenge you, help you to grow, help you to take that next step in your faith journey, whether it's your first time to church ever, or your first time to church in a while, or you just moved here recently, whatever that might be. That's, uh, That's certainly my prayer. We're kind of a what you see is what you get kind of church. And we're really about life change. Uh, my just my passion. I just I love to see God change people's lives. When Jesus comes and invades a person's soul, it's amazing what He does. Uh, It's an extreme home makeover on steroids and what he does in relationships. And that's just the beginning and it continues all of our life as we get to walk in that that journey. So uh, so that's really what we're about in a nutshell. So uh, I'm we're in the middle of a series through First Thessalonians and I'm going to share this morning about what it means practically to love one another. Sometimes We know we're supposed to love one another, right? I mean, every parent knows, like, share your blocks, please. Can you guys just get along? Like, you, you want your kids to love one another just for survival's sake, not because it's the right thing to do as much, but we know that. But this morning, it's really interesting. Paul impacts for us what that love should look like with the people around us. And even including, we're gonna see some things with the people that we work with, and honestly, even some strategies about social media and that kind of thing as well. So take your Bible, if you would, and join with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. We're gonna look at just, uh, I think, like three or four verses this morning, uh, verse nine through verse 12. So 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verse nine and 12. If you don't have your Bible, it's already on the screen. So read with me, if you would. Paul says this, he says, "'Now concerning brotherly love, the kind of love that we should have for one another. He's saying, you have no need for anyone to write to you. You guys got this. I don't need to fix any of that. He says, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. He says, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. We might would say today throughout New York State. It would be Macedonia's modern day Greece. He says, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more. So you're loving well, you got that. You don't need me to talk to you about that. That base is covered. But over here, you need to pay attention a little bit more. He says, do this more and more and to aspire to live number one, quietly. Number two, to mind your own affairs. Number three, to work with your own hands as we have instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders, in other words, before people who don't follow Christ, who don't know Jesus, walk properly before them and be dependent on no one. I want to talk to you this morning about what it means to love one another. And then Paul really unpacks for us another part of that love. Usually we think of love as, you know, being nice to somebody or doing something good for somebody, you know, serving someone or blessing them somehow. And Paul actually says, you're like, you know, you guys are doing really well in that department. But what he's kind of subtly saying below the lines is, is you guys have been active and busy throughout the whole country of Macedonia. But look, here's the deal. You guys have become busybodies. Like you're getting into people's business too much. You're making noise and you're getting involved in stuff you shouldn't be. And you're not always the nicest people. And And you also, like, what's up with this? You should be working. You shouldn't be just, like, not working and expecting other people to provide for your your means. You're not showing people around you the kind of love that you need to be showing. Now, how did they get to that point? Uh, We're going to see next week and the next couple of weeks, and even when we go into 2 Thessalonians, the church really believed Jesus was coming back soon. And it's not too difficult to think that, you know, they were like, woohoo, this is awesome. My re- retirement plan starts today. I don't need a plan until I'm 80. Jesus is coming back in the next 10 years. We're going to live large, and it's going to be awesome, and we're going to just love Jesus. They really thought it was coming right there. And they probably were backing off their work. They probably were like, I'm done. You know, here's my notice, boss. Two weeks, I'm done. I got enough in the bank account. We're going to coach Jesus to come back, and it's going to be awesome. And in all that idle time, they loved and committed to God. They loved and were committed to other people, but they were letting some bad habits slip into their lives. So first thing I want us to notice this morning is, is that we indeed are to love one another. We know that. The the motivating factor for our lives as we follow Jesus is always love. If you cut the Christian faith, I don't care how you slice it, sideways, crossways, however you do it, what is going to come out of it at every point, true Christian faith is going to be love. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about that love. Sometimes love looks differently than what we think. Love doesn't always mean giving in and giving in to what people want. If your kid wakes up and is like, mom, I want chocolate cake for breakfast, you're not showing love to your kid by you know doing every little thing they want. That's not very loving. So there's some different definitions floating around with love. We don't have time to dive into that. But what I want us to notice is that love is the motivating factor. Everything in our life revolves around that. I live about 900 feet above the Mohawk River. So some of you guys have been to my house. Some of you think that I live out in the country. When you see little yellow signs on the road that have a little guy on a tractor, you know you're not like you know in the suburbs anymore. Like, be careful of the guy on the John Deere tractors. Don't run over the farmer. Right? That's where I live. And uh, we live so high up off the Mohawk and there's like, there's just not much, if I look around, there's not a lot around me that's much higher. So it gets windy out in all those fields. A couple of weeks ago, the wind was blowing and it was trash day and we have to, you know, wheel the trash way out to the curb and I looked out and I noticed the recycle can had blown over and all the papers were blowing down the road and I could see them, you know, like 300 yards headed right to my neighbor's house into the snowbanks, and all of that. And like any self-respecting dad, I said, son, you need to go out and get those things. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's freezing out there. I don't want to go walking in two feet of snow and get that stuff. So I I sent the uh, the, the lowest uh, guy on the, the, <laughs> the authority chain and he gladly went and did it. But I didn't want, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. There's like 80 pieces of you know, paper and mail and who knows what blowing down the road, you know, down to my neighbor's house. And I did it because I didn't want my neighbors like, what are you doing, Sean? You know, like, dude, you're paper in our whole yard. I did it because I wanted to genuinely show love to them. Honestly, I wasn't that worried about the environment. It was all like biodegradable. It would be gone in, you know, just a few months anyway. But I wanted to show love. As Christians, as people who follow Jesus... That naturally comes out of our heart. A little baby bird sitting in, the, in its nest, there's something inside of that bird that says, I think I can do what mom and dad do. I think I can fly. I mean, that's terrifying. You know? Can you imagine just you've never flown in your life, you've only ever seen anybody else to do, and you're up you know, 20 feet in the air just thinking, oh, I think this is a good idea. Actually, some of you probably did that when you're teenagers and your mom and dad said, no, that was not a good idea to try that. But it is in their heart. It is in their nature to fly. What God puts in our heart when we receive Jesus as Lord of our life, that he saves us because he loves us and he comes and he lives inside of us and, and more and more he puts that love as the motivating factor in our life. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, look, I didn't teach you guys how to love. You automatically knew how to do it because God in heaven himself was teaching you. You didn't need to hear a sermon series on it. It was just something inside of you to love one another. That is the motivating factor in our life. I will say this one thing. I want you to notice here as Paul's talking, you know, Jesus tells us that we're to love one another as as we love ourselves, right? As you love yourselves, we ought to love one another. I want to be careful here, guys. There's an awful lot of Christian pop psychology out there, and most of it is not worth anything. That, when Jesus says that we ought to love others as we love ourselves, right? You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That, the key to that, loving your neighbor as yourself, is not, oh, I need to love myself first, and then I'm going to love my neighbor. That is not what that verse is saying at all. In fact, Jesus later on said, look, nobody ever really hated his own life, his own body. Jesus, it, It's more like this. This is like the mom saying, would you please eat your peas the way you eat apple pie? Would you eat your green beans the way you eat chocolate ice cream? What, what Jesus is saying to us is, I know you love yourself. I want you to now love people the way you love yourself. You see, God knows the problem is, is we love each other. We love ourselves too much. That's the problem. And and he's assuming that we love ourselves and we should love other people just the way we love ourselves. So I've said all that to say this. Now he gives us three ways, three key ways, practically of what that means. And I love this because sometimes, you know, when the Bible says, love your neighbors yourself. Well, what does that mean? I mean, we know we're supposed to do it, but how do you put that into practice? What do I go home and do differently today? Well, Paul tells us three things here to really focus on what that love looks like. He says first, he says, guys, aspire to live quietly. This is, I love this. That aspire, guys, make it, make it your life's ambition. This is your goal. This is what you ought to think about and work toward and get up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to make this happen, to live quietly live quietly. Yeah. You guys are causing too much noise. You're just too much in other people's stuff. How many of you have learned that it, when you go to work, that sometimes it's better to keep your nose out of all of the stuff. How many of you have learned that? That's what he's talking about. Like, you do not need to be getting up in the middle of everything that's going on around you. Stay out of it, he's saying. Well, Sean, sometimes some things need to be fixing. Yeah. But most of it, no. (laughs) Most of it, no. Most of it, most of the noise that goes on when you're at work is not stuff that you can do anything about. If you can, and your opinion's being sought, and there's a constructive positive thing that you're able to help, that's good, but that's not noise. He's saying stay out of, out of the mess. See, we as humans like that. We like the controversy. We like the disaster. We like the crises. We, that's why when we're driving down the thruway, even though we could literally, there's enough lanes that we could keep trucking by and complete safety. Everything backs down because everybody's doing one of these, you know, everybody's looking and watching what's going on. I want to know what's going on. I've got to know what's going on. I don't want to miss out on anything. We want to know. And Paul is saying that part of our life is not loving to the people around us. You actually show love to your coworkers when you stay out of things, when you work to be quiet. This is something that takes effort. The natural thing is, is for you and me to get involved, to want to get out and make some noise. Now, this plays out not just in our workplace. It can play out in our neighbor or friends. It especially can play out in family drama. How many of you know that you know sometimes you really do need to just bow out of family drama like you just need to get out of it and you need to say look this is not because i don't love people and care in fact it's the opposite i'm 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 doing one of these deals i'm going to be quiet i'm going to stay out of it this also impacts our use of social media see we live in a world today everybody wants to have a position about everything And we feel like it's our job, our mandate, to come out and speak about everything that's going on under the sun. I don't care whether it's politically, medically, uh, just everything, yes, yes, absolutely, all of it. And in the middle of it is we're perpetuating a lifestyle of noise. And Paul says, cut it out, learn to live quietly and be at peace. Now, I struggle with this as much as you do, and I can break those lines, and it can be a challenge sometimes, but Sean, this matters. Well, some of it does, and some of it really doesn't. Some of it just, we don't need to weigh in. And when we start taking those positions along the way, we start honestly becoming jerks in the process. Somewhere along the line, we start coming across as not-so-nice people. And Paul says, don't do that. Now what's really going on is when you and I are busy with whatever that's going on in the world around us and we're getting all stirred up, in that world and in those moments, we really are not pursuing the God of heaven. We really are not putting him first. He's really not our focus. We're really not walking with him, worshiping with him, communing with him because our focus is all fixated down here and we're fighting our cause or our justice or making our statement and our stand and getting involved in other people's lives. You know, and Paul says, just, just bow out of it. Just, just stop. There's a time and a place that, that we, and and by the way, sometimes people want to bring you into their stuff and sometimes it's okay if it's healthy and the person really is looking for help and a solution. But sometimes your close friends are just looking for you to agree with them, why their spouse is awful right now and why they're justified in being angry and bitter and not forgiving. And they're just looking for you to affirm them in that. Well, congratulations. When you start playing that role, you are now not leading a quiet life and you have just been asked to jump in into the middle of other stuff. And you're not being a part of the solution. You're actually becoming a part of the problem within that that relationship. And so Paul says, look, we should care for one another. And this has huge implications in the church because whenever you get people together, I don't care if it's social media or if it's at work, family, neighborhoods, church, this stuff begins to happen. And Paul's like, look, guys, you need to bring your involvement down a level. All of that. Social media is wonderful. There's some wonderful positive things to it. But this is an avenue that lets you now live that noisy life 24-7, even when you're not around things around you, other people. And Paul says, look, work hard at living quietly, like a spire. At the end of your life, you need to be able to, people need to be able to look around you and say, you know what? They were really, they didn't get into all the junk. They were just good people. In fact, you're gonna see the, you know, the saying, salt of the earth kind of people, you know, that's the picture we're getting of who God is wanting us to be. People that are, you know, not in the middle of all of that mess, people that are taking care of their own stuff, and people that are working hard, making their living, and being living responsible, those are the people that God calls us to be uh, as his followers. Second thing, not only should we live, work, and aspire, like I want to, that's the kind of person I want to be, to live quietly, but he also says, secondly, to mind your own affairs, take care of your own affairs. You know, mind your own business is what we would say. You see, there's something happens when you are busy, preoccupied about everybody else's business, about all the stuff going on out there. And I've had seasons in my life where I've been very preoccupied with other things going on. And have kind of had to learn this lesson the hard way. What happens is not only are we not following God in the middle of that and our communion with God and our walking with him has kind of gone into the ditch, but at the same time we're being irresponsible with our own life. How many of you have enough of your own issues and problems that you got to take care of? Let's be honest. When we get into this kind of stuff, what we just said is, oh, I'll add your problem to my to-do list. And I'll add that one to my to-do list. I'm gonna add that one to my to-do list. And before you know it, we've added five or six things that either are getting us worked up emotionally, taking our time and energy away, and it's sapping us from doing the other stuff that we need to be doing. Just stuff that we should be doing. And then some of the own junk in our own heart. Paul, I mean, just says quickly, he starts with like, hey, live quietly. Now you've got bandwidth, you've got time and space. Take care of your own stuff. Mind your own affairs. I don't know why this is, but I've seen it in my own life, negatively, and I've seen it in other people. Sometimes when your own life is not going well, or your own situation is not going well, there's a tendency for us to say, I don't want to deal with that. And then, it's almost like self-medicate, we'll go trying to wade in and fix other people's stuff. (laughs) and It's kind of psychotic, really. Like, we can't even get our own stuff fixed, so now we're going to help fix somebody else's stuff? Like, really? We don't tell them that. Oh, just so you know, I'm being really responsible and I have no clue what I'm talking about. I can't even fix my own stuff. But I'm glad to come over here and help you fix your stuff. I'm glad to hear about all of your stuff. And I, you know, and and somehow what it does is it distances us. I think it numbs us, honestly. We're like, oh, yeah, they're all messed up and more worse than me. And it distracts us. It, like, gets us away from our own stuff. And Paul says, cut it out. Like you got enough junk going on in your own world, quit trying to fix their family. You need to focus on your stuff. You got your own family to take care of. So when we think as Christians that we should love one another, there is a community effect that we should have those kinds of relationships that we are involved in people's lives. And Paul is saying like, but yo, there's some ground rules here. There's, there's, there's some ground rules in this process. This is not a uh, open invitation that, you know, that we should be just meddling in everybody's life. In fact, to be really honest with you, we need to be really careful with that. The Bible tells us that in a church setting, that we should not, many, we should not have many teachers in a church. He says, because the reality is, is that those teachers stand before God with a higher degree of accountability. In other words, when you teach bad math and the kid fails, it's on you. Why is it and when you, you question, huh? what's that, Gary? Why do you say the past, um, the teachers are bad for Teachers are very good for us, but they need to be good teachers, Gary. That's what I'm saying. So go with me. So teaching today in life is not just in the classroom. You're online reading a blog because you're trying to figure out how to take care of your kids. And you read something that this other person who has a really wonderful picture and looks like they have got great kids and they post something that looks really great, and are like, oh, that really makes sense. But what you don't know is their life's a mess. And you don't see all the other stuff that's going on, and you just allow that person to be a teacher in your life and to have authority in your life, and they're not even following biblical principles they don't have their act together. We are filled in a world around us with all kinds of teachers. We don't need nearly as much noise in the world around us as is out there. And so Paul would tell us, be careful you know, about this, take care of your matters. Well, Sean, we need to find some wisdom help, you bet. But you better find it from people who know what they're talking about. And honestly, that's even today in a local church setting, that's why he talks about when he stands as a pastor or a a teacher, he's like, hey, look at my life, you've seen me, you have open book in front of me. I mean, if you go to a doctor, you wanna see their credentials, right? For most of the things that we try to learn from in life, what's the credential? It's not a piece of paper on the wall. We're smart enough to know that it's not a really cool blog and somebody who writes really well and can be kind of snarky or funny at times, right? We're smart enough to know that just because they do that well, doesn't mean they have credentials, it's our life. So be careful of the noise, take care of your own business. Be careful in the middle of that noise. You don't have other people just coming and jumping into your stuff find good people that can help you and have wisdom in that. But Paul says, focus on your own business. So in the workplace, what he's saying is, is, this, do your job really well, quit trying to fix other people's jobs, do your job. And if you're invited or somebody asks you some genuine advice and it's a healthy situation, sure, but don't go around trying to fix everything. You do your job well, and fulfill the responsibilities that you, you have. It goes a long, long way. I remember learning that lesson and the lesson of hard work early on. I was, uh, I think I was, a, it was my, the summer after my freshman year of college. I was living in Maine, my family were in Maine, and uh, I got a job at Jackson Laboratory. It's a world-renowned genetics lab. In fact, like the, one of the top, at least then it was, one of the top three labs in the entire world. Uh, and, and they had, I don't think I'm exaggerating, like a million mice on campus, like where they live. So mice need lots of shavings, lots of food. And my job was mowing the lawns. I didn't know anything about genetics. I mowed the lawns all summer jo- long. It was a great job. But along the way, they needed help because in the wintertime, all of those mice, you know, every week or few days, the cages need to be cleaned out, and new shavings, new, you know, whatever that, like, you know, wood shavings. And so they would store up this huge warehouse of shavings all summer long because they couldn't get them in the wintertime. So guess what I got to do on certain days? Throw 50 pound bags of shavings on the pile. Well, I earned the respect of Earl that summer because there were two guys like me mowing lawns, but they would always request for me because I kept my nose clean. I worked hard and it's hot in the warehouse and all of that. That's what Paul's telling us along the way. He's like, guys, mind your own business, take care of your own stuff. And the third thing that he says related to that is, is work hard, work with your own hands, provide for your living. That should be your focus, like love Jesus and worship Jesus. But the best way to love people around you is take care of your own stuff. Stay out of their stuff, unless you're invited or it's really helpful. And work hard to provide for yourself. I want you to notice that you and I, one of the motivations for going to work is not so that we can buy all the toys in this world, but Paul just says very simply, to work with your hands like we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders, people who don't know Jesus, and to be dependent on no one. Paul says this, the way you work and the way you provide for your family is a powerful testimony to those around you that don't know Christ. Powerful. Powerful. should be a reminder to us when you guys go to work, to, whether it's today, or tomorrow, whether you go to school, if you're a student, um, how you live your life and how you do your business is a powerful testimony of the people around you. Students, what he's telling you is this. Be a, the best student you can be. Not out of fear that you're not going to get into medical school or you're not going to get that internship or somehow that you're out of your insecurity, that you're less than great if you get a C on that paper instead of a B or an A or whatever. He's actually saying, be a good, really student because you want to represent Jesus well to other students. You do it out of a life of devotion and love to God, not out of you afraid that if you don't do really well that you're not going to get the most incredible job in the world and do all of this well. He's telling us when we go to work, that our motivation should be showing love to our coworkers along the way and to the people around us to be, uh, to, to walk, to, to recognize that the way we live out our life has an impact on what people think about Jesus, to what they think about our, our faith. Now along the way, it's not enough to just do that for people to be saved, we need to share the gospel, but it starts here, our testimony, our reputation starts here. Paul says, work at it. In the Roman Empire, it was kind of looked down upon to be somebody that had to work with your hands. And Paul is saying, guys, embrace it. Whatever job you need to do to provide for a family, do it. That's honorable to God and it's honorable to the people around you, do it. Now, if you and I are to, to follow this, to provide for ourselves well, not only do we need to be people of hard work, But we also need to be people that manage our money. You see, he's talking about providing for ourselves and not becoming dependent on anyone else around us. He's not, this is different than saying, oh, I don't need anybody else's help. This is not a prideful thing. I'm going to take care of myself. Nobody else is going to be able to, you know. This is not pride. It's actually the opposite. It's out of love. If you're in a situation that you have worked you're best and you have, have been faithful in all of that and you need help. God tells us as a church family we're to help and to love. But what he's talking about is people who can work but refuse to for whatever reason. And he's, and, and he's telling us that when we do that, we bring shame upon his name. We bring shame to the faith of God when we don't provide and use the, the talents and abilities, opportunities, experiences, skills that we have To provide for our needs working and if we're going to do that well we need to manage it money is like water if you don't if you don't get it under control can you hold water in your hand very long you can hold a little bit i mean if we really want to like micrograms like the little part there that's not in your fingers you can hold on to but if you fill up those hands like this it's going to run right through you've got to have a mechanism financially to get your money under control. Tracking system, discipline, and all that. So that's really what a budget is. Oh my goodness, Sean, you're meddling now. I hate budgets. I like putting budgets on paper, but I hate living with budgets because they tell me I can't buy the things I want to buy. Yeah, that's the whole point. (laughs) That's, That's kind of the point of a budget, you know? It's kind of the point of providing for yourself. See, for us to do this well, we not only need to work hard, But we also need to be careful with what we do with our money on the back end as we provide for our needs. We just as we had our uh, first finance class this last week, and by the way, if you didn't make it, we're planning jump in there. You there's plenty to learn and grow from in the middle of it. But if you're going to do this well, you really need to have some sort of budget that you operate on. You really have to do that. Something that you can live by and live with. That will help you with the discipline to provide for what you need because if you don't the day is coming when you have the expenses coming whether it's medical whether it's car whether it's whatever that you're going to need to provide for yourself and if you spend every week what you've got coming in then you're in trouble before you really know that you're in trouble so Paul, in the middle of this, if we're going to do this well, not only do we need a budget, but we need a savings plan. In fact, you need two kinds of savings. Uh, I'll let the, the course that the we're going through define all of that and, and, and give you terms for that. But you need one savings that is like an emergency emergency insurance parachute. Like you only, you know, it's like how many of you have gone to the hotels, you know, in case of emergency break glass, you know, I mean, it's there, but you don't ever touch it. Then you need the other savings that's there because you know you are going to need to touch it. I promise you, if you own a car, your car is going to need repair this year, not next year, the year after this year. If you own a home, you're going to need repairs on your home. If you are living and breathing, you are going to have to go to the doctor. That's this kind of savings plan. So save for those things. We've tried to teach our kids when you buy this car, that's the day that you save for your next one. Because when this one wears out, and as you, you know, and repair it and all of that, you can turn around and buy the next one and not spend any interest and take out loans and and buy what you need. So you prepare and plan those things ahead. You need savings. You need uh, along the way to do this well, you're gonna have to learn to be content. See, here's what happens. If you and I, even if we're working faithfully, but the outgo is greater than what is long-term sustainable for us, eventually we slide into bankruptcy. And when we slide into bankruptcy, we're actually not living by this passage. Paul says, work hard to provide for what you need. And if you are buying more than what you need, you are ultimately going to run into situations. Well, it was an, an emergency. Well, some emergencies really are true bona fide emergencies, but most of the stuff we deal with in life is maintenance that we know is coming. So to keep us out of that and all of that consumer debt, what we really have to practice is contentment before God in heaven. I don't need it. I, can I just be honest with you, there's times I step back that I hate being a consumer. I hate being a consumer. I hate just having to always just consume, consume, consume it's a reality of our life. We're going to have to eat. We're going to have to, to have things to survive and clothes to wear. And then I have moments if I'm like you like, oh, I really want that. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Right? And what the Bible tells us is we need to practice contentment. If we're going to really provide for what we need, none of us could ever really work enough to buy what we really want because there will always be something else. Oh, but Sean, if I just got this promotion, if I just had, if I work this extra job, if I pull this extra shift, oh, I could buy this. Oh, it would be so awesome. It'd be a game changer for my family. And it really doesn't. And before you know it, you're stepping on that slippery slope and you're consuming more and more and more. And you, you put yourself upside down, not just financially, but even time with your family and energy and it erodes life and it brings contention into the home. And so God, the Bible tells us to (laughs) practice contentment. You'll only be content in your life, though, with what you have. Be content with what such as you have, the things that you have today, with food and shelter. And we all have more than food and shelter. The Bible tells us to be content. But the only way that we're ever going to be to that point is when our greatest desire in that moment, as well as in life, is God. You see, whenever we put our fixate, our hope, and what's going to satisfy us, going to make us happy, maybe numb the pain that's inside of us, we're feeling bad, and so we want to go out and buy this, or just, well, we need to keep up with everybody. We we buy all kinds of stuff just to, that are in a non-healthy way, And what we're doing in all of those situations is we're expecting something in this world to do for us that only a God in heaven can do. To give us peace and security and hope and joy and love and satisfaction. And so our eyes are off of God, our eyes are on other stuff and we slide in to this mess where we don't provide well for our family. That's, by the way, is the dangers of, of credit cards. Susan, Susan and I have always had a credit card. If you go to the class, you'll hear to cut your credit cards up. And I would say for the vast majority of Americans, that's absolutely true. Um, the principle that we need to follow is, is do whatever you've got to do to get your money under control. Susan and I, as we were mar- married early on, um, we've, it was actually the opposite for us. If we had cash, we spent it. We couldn't control it, we couldn't track it. it, it just went, just gone. And so actually the credit cards for us became the way to keep our money under control, um, and we, we've actually in that whole time period have never paid a, a penny of interest along the way, never, not number one, just God's grace, just grateful for that, have practiced the discipline. You know, the reason credit cards want you to get them is because they know the vast majority of people are gonna slip, and buy more than what they can afford, and they're going to make money off of you. That's the bottom line. Um, and so if you, if you are paying interest on your credit cards, and if you're buying more than you shouldn't, and you're buying outside of your budget that's reasonable, and you have a credit card, you immediately ought to go home and cut that thing up all day long. You can live without it. You can survive. And if you want to know how to do it, come to the money class. But we have to get that under control, not just the working, but even our spending. And ultimately, it's our heart. It's our heart before God. You see, that's what this is all about. That's why Paul started talking helping us understand this with love. We love God. And Paul says, as a church, you guys have got it. Jesus has changed your life. You love God now. You're automatically loving one another. But you're letting some stuff along the way here. You're not showing much love when you're expecting your, your parents or grandparents or your neighbors or other people to pick up the tab. This even has implications for public assistance. What Paul is saying to us is is if you can provide for yourself, you should and shouldn't rely on other people. Even if the government can pay for stuff or wants to, you shouldn't subsidize your lifestyle because somebody else wants to pay. Let me me give you an example. Susan and I had been early married and uh, we had, I think at that time, a couple of kids, and um, we qualified for a program that would provide like milk and what was it, like cheese and eggs for, for mom, nursing pregnant moms and the kids, right? We qualified for that and we were living in Vermont. And I remember seeing that and I can remember, I don't, I don't remember the circumstances, but I remember being literally right in my front door of my, in my apartment where we lived and thinking, this is ridiculous. I have at that time two or three plane tickets to go to Florida on vacation after my finishing my master's degree. And I'm like, if I can afford plane tickets to go to Florida on vacation, I think we can afford milk and cheese and eggs, regardless of what the government says. So I don't know how those numbers figure and the threshold of all of that, but there's something messed up. Like all day long, I'm going to provide for my family, because that's what I'm supposed to do. Just because somebody wants to give me something else, You know, I shouldn't be like, oh good, I can take that stuff out of my budget. Now I can go buy something else, or oh, now we can go play when we go to Florida. It's ridiculous. We should provide for our needs in as much as we are capable and able to and not expecting the world around us to subsidize our playing and our middle class, whatever lifestyle we're shooting for. Paul says, work for what you need. Take care of that. Make your way in this world, not out of pride, well, I've, I've done it. I haven't paid any. Do it out of love. Be responsible for the life around you. So guys, I don't know how this hits you. I've been convicted recently as we finished the parenting class that I've not done a very good job as a pastor helping parents regularly think about how to raise their kids. You see, right now, If you're mom and dad and you have kids at home, you should be processing this two ways, maybe three. Every one of you should be processing what this means for you. What should I do about this God? If you live in a home and are married, you ought to be thinking, what does this mean for us as a couple? And if you have kids, you should be thinking, what does this mean for my kids? You see, mom and dad, the place that your kids need to learn this is not when they get to their first job. When they go to their first job, their boss ought to find somebody who knows how to work hard, who's respectful, who knows how to stay out of the other employee's business, who knows how to do their job. Where are they going to learn that? They're going to learn that in your home. You see, our job as parents is not to just provide all the fun and activities for them, but it's to make healthy, godly little adults. I'm not saying make them adults now, but they need to be in that pathway. So mom and dad, what do you need to be doing differently to make sure your kids are truly loving one another and loving you, not disrespecting you. Cause if they disrespect you, I promise you, they're going to disrespect their boss. They're going to disrespect the authorities when they get in the world around you. If you don't watch some, don't believe that, watch some of the police shows out there that, that you can see how, what are you doing to help them to genuinely love in their heart, to stay out of the other person's business, to get out of the drama in the home. Sean, it's so hard. I know. But if you teach and discipline and love well, and we finish that class, and there's other things I could help you with, it begins, to, it begins to iron itself out and to teach them to take care of their own stuff and to work hard, pull their weight in the home. When they step into the other world, it shouldn't be that big of a transition for them. So mom and dad, what do you need to be thinking about? What do you need to be doing for them in your home to help them to obey this? What do you need to think about yourself? Maybe you've gotten yourself into a doorway that somebody's invited you in, telling you about all this stuff, but they really aren't asking your advice. They're just complaining. Maybe you need to go back and say, I love you. And if you want my advice, I'd be glad to sit down with you. If you want me to pray with you, I will. But you know what? This has become just a complaint and you're really not looking for help. You're just trying to justify your junk. And I got enough junk I got to deal with. I don't want your junk too to go on top of mine. Maybe you need to back out of some of those conversations. Maybe you need to focus on your own stuff. Maybe you need to to work in a way and maybe your reputation at work's been damaged because you haven't pulled your weight. Maybe you're coasting a little bit. I don't know, but whatever God has spoken to your heart this morning, this is our chance to respond to what God's written. This is how he changes our life, guys. One message, one verse at a time. The God of heaven helping us become the person that he really meant us to be when he made us. To save us, redeem us, forgive us, and change us. So I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. I'm going to pray. And our next song is a time for you to just respond to God. If you need to sing and worship him, then sing and worship him. If you're convicted, maybe you need to pray. If you need to figure things out, maybe what you need to do is just take out a piece of paper and just put a word or a sentence down. I'm going to do this today or this week. Maybe you feel like you need to have a conversation, but make that commitment before you step out of here today. So won't you stand and I'm going to pray. God in heaven, we thank you for loving us for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he died for us. And Father, thank you that as you save us, you not only teach us to love, but you give us practical things to live by. Lord, I pray that we would live according to these things that we provide for our families, whether it's through insurances and retirement and savings and budgets and just work. Lord, these things matter. They show our love and commitment to you. They show our love and commitment to the people around us. Father, we know that we all will need each other along the way. But we heard today from what you've told us that we shouldn't make that as an excuse to be irresponsible, to inflate our lifestyle. Father, help us to be faithful in just our practical things. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to RiverCast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.